Praise the Lord, everyone. So good to be here on this Sunday morning, and uh, I am excited to be able to deliver the Word of God to you today. Um, I was not supposed to be teaching today, <laughs> originally. Uh, Pastor was supposed to be back by now, so uh, you're stuck with me again. Uh, so, <laughs> so I do think that uh, it's interesting that the topic that I, I taught on last week was called the Holy Ghost and Fire. Who was here from last week's message? And I did that because it was, um, it was Pentecost Sunday, uh, but just so happened that Pastor wanted the month's theme to be on the Holy Spirit. And so I thought, well, okay, well, since we're already in that vein, why don't we continue? And so we're going to be talking about the Holy Ghost. Last week, I talked about how the Holy Ghost is analogous to fire. Uh, the message is called the Holy Ghost and Fire. We did an analysis on how uh, fire is a, a metaphor. It's a good way of get, giving us a good understanding as to what the Holy Spirit is. Today, we're going to be talking about the Holy Ghost and water, the living water. And we'll be looking at John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And we're going to, I'm going to teach a little bit uh, more in depth in this, this study than I did in the last one. And uh, we're going to break down these three verses uh, as best as we can to get a good understanding of, as to what is going on in the text. So this lesson is divided into three sections, and it's based upon the three verses that we'll be looking at, verses 37, 38, and verse 39. And again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and how it is like water. We're going to try and get a better understanding as to what the Holy Spirit is like. So the first section is called, If Any Man Thirst, and that's going to be based upon verse 37 of John chapter 7. And we'll be talking about uh, what Jesus is describing in this particular verse, uh, that there was a particular feast that was going on uh, when Jesus makes this amazing statement. And we're going to really dive into what this statement means. He goes on to this and say, he that believes in verse 38. And we'll be talking about faith as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, when Jesus is glorified, we'll talk about what does it mean when Jesus Christ is glorified and how it relates to receiving of the Holy Ghost. And so we'll be breaking down all three of those different aspects and looking at this text in John 7, verse 37 through 39. And so bear with me as we try and break this down. With that being said, let's get into our, our main text here. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Simply says this, In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. As you see here in, in the slide, I have the, the verses, the key words in each verse that we're going to be unpacking as we go through this study. I have uh, the phrase, if any man thirst. That's the very first section we'll be covering. Then in verse 30, he that believeth on me. And then uh, in the last verse, verse 39, Jesus was not yet glorified. And we're going to unpack those three uh, phrases in this study in getting an understanding as it relates to the Holy Spirit and how it's analogous to water. With that being said, let's get into our very first section, which is called, If Any Man Thirsts. Jesus was speaking at a particular feast day, and he gets up in the middle of this feast on the very last day, the great day of the feast, it says in verse 37, and he cries out to the crowd, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And I want to talk to you today about the thirst of the human race, the desires of the human race, because uh, mankind is thirsty. It's looking for something. As we see the cultural landscape and all of the different things that are happening in the public forum with, our, with public policy and laws and regulations and governments and things we're seeing in the culture, when, in our media, in our, in our entertainment, in the news, we are seeing a, a desire from the human populace, a thirst for something, something that brings satisfaction, something that brings fulfillment, something that brings meaning. And I want to describe to you as to why that despite all the different things we have in our society, all the technological advancements that we have, even with AI recently, with uh, all our cell phones and tablets and laptops and big screen TVs and projectors and good fancy cars and good jobs, all the things that we have in our life, why none of these things seem to satiate the thirst that's within mankind to give him full satisfaction. So what's really interesting here, I want to look at why we are thirsty, why we are so thirsty. Why is it that America can't seem to get enough, that, uh, not just America, but the human race, we're a, cons a consumer 
uh, population. We're constantly consuming, constantly trying to get something to meet our needs and to satiate these desires and lusts that we have. Why we are thirsty. I want to look at a natural explanation as to why we are thirsty, why we're constantly looking, why we're, we're, we get in our cell phone, we're constantly scrolling, trying to find something to give us the next dopamine hit. We're mindlessly watching television. We're on Netflix or Instagram or something to meet our needs. Why we're, we're looking at a particular relationship to perhaps, uh, give us some sort of meaning or purpose or perhaps ascribing to some particular philosophy that might explain the meaning and the purpose of the universe. Why are we thirsty? Well, let's look at the, the earth in of itself for an, uh, an example as to understand why that is. For example, over 70% of the earth's surface is covered with water. For sure, all of you know that. That is as great and as expansive as the earth is. The majority of it is underwater, is covered by water. What's interesting about this, though, is 97.3% of the water on earth is undrinkable because of the salt concentration which means that only 2.7% of the water is drinkable. So out of all, 7% of our planet is covered with water, and 97.3% of that, percent of that water you can't even drink. Only 2.7% is actually drinkable, and the reason why is because of the salt concentration that is inside of the water. So when if someone drinks ocean water, for example, their body can't handle the high levels of salt, so it must get rid of it through urination. For example, let's say you're like this picture I have here on the screen. You have these three gentlemen that are stranded in the ocean. They have nothing to drink, yet they are surrounded by water, and it's not drinkable. But let's say that their thirst, their desire to drink, uh, overcomes them, and they begin to drink this ocean water. As they drink it, the body must deal with the increased concentration of salt content within the bloodstream, and it must rid itself of this salt concentration, so you begin to urinate a lot. So what happens is the body requires more water to get rid of the salt than it takes in. This makes the person even more dehydrated than they were prior to drinking it. With each drink, there is a net loss. So the more that you're drinking, the more thirsty you're becoming. The more that you consume, the more dehydrated you are. The more that you, in, you intake, the more that you look for to meet this need, to meet this desire, the more empty and void and the more meaningless you feel. A person can literally die of thirst and dehydration from drinking too much because you're consuming something that is taking more than it's giving. From a spiritual perspective, why we are thirsty. Even so, the things in this life that we see will not satisfy our needs nor quench our thirst. The tainted waters of sin will always take more than it provides, leaving us empty and thirsty for more. 97.3%, let's just say this, of the things that you can see, actually really the majority of the things that you can see, cannot satisfy your spiritual needs nor provide meaning for your mental well-being. And that's why mankind is is, uh, basically doomed to disappointment, doomed to feeling empty, doomed to being thirsty and being parched and being dry and unable to basically meet its own needs. It tries sex, it tries drugs, it tries a career, it tries an education, it tries a relationship, but it's still thirsty. It's still, there's, there's no meaning. There's, and I feel emptier. The more I smoke this, the more addicted I am to it. I need, to, I need to take even more to get a better high. The more I drink, the more, the worse the hangover is and the more addicted I become to it and my life is becoming more empty, more meaningless than it was before I drank it. And that's why our lives are honestly are meaningless. And that's why people are so thirsty. Why people will pay top dollar in order to experience the next high. Why we'll pay top dollar to go to the amusement park to get some sort of dopamine hit. Why we'll do whatever we can to experience greater heights of pleasure. And one of the greatest, I say that one of the worst things to ever experience in life, we often would say is pain. That uh, pain is something that's so traumatic and so horrendous and that when you're in pain, that's just the worst. But I would argue that uh, when you've exhausted all means of pleasure, that is when you truly have hit rock bottom. Because when you're in pain, you can imagine a reality where there is something that could fix the pain, that could alleviate the suffering. But if you've exhausted all means of pleasure and nothing gives you any meaning, you have nothing else left, you have no hope of an alternate reality with which you can find your desires met, then you're truly in suffering. It's those who have everything that are the most mentally disturbed and unhinged, the most depressed and depraved, because they have exhausted everything. I've tried everything. I've amassed all the wealth. I've amassed all the toys. I've amassed all the goods and services in my ploy. And despite having all these things, my life is still empty and void and meaningless, and I'm, I'm thirsty. 
I am thirsty. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 20, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. A good example is the man who wrote this chapter would be Solomon. Solomon was the richest and the wisest man in his day. He threw silver plates like it was paper. He he had everything he could possibly imagine, yet his life, as he said, was vain. All is vanity. All is meaningless. All is void. There's no purpose. There's nothing that can truly satiate the needs of a man. Unfortunately, he was writing this before that Christ would come into the picture who would truly give meaning and purpose to our lives. But the fact of the matter is, you'll never be satisfied by what you see. Because the reason why it will never satisfy you, because anything you can see is temporary. Anything you see is temporary. And to truly be satisfied, I need something that's going to last, that's going to endure, that is going to meet my need over the long run. But anything I see is fleeting, it's failing, it will fall apart, it will decay, it will erode, it will disappear. Because the thing that I need is something I cannot see. It's something that is supernatural, something that is eternal, that can meet the, eat, the supernatural part of myself. We're trying to use things that we can see to satiate a, a desire for something we can't see. And the only one that has the resources that can truly satiate and satisfy the hungry and the thirsty soul is that of Jesus Christ. So no matter what you see, guess what? It won't satisfy you. That hot thing with two legs over there walking down the street, it will not satisfy you. That career, winning that lottery ticket, getting that, that, getting that one last beer, that, having that one last drink, it will not satisfy you. Instead, it will steal from you. Your body is trying to process the sin that's in it, and it has to try to get rid of it. And so now you go to self-help tapes, and you're uh, researching philosophy and going to therapy, trying to deal with all the stuff that you've consumed that your body, your spirit, was not designed to handle. We're thirsty. We're drinking, but yet dehydrated. Eating, but yet still hungry. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That we think that by consuming these things that this is going to help us. This is going to solve the problem. Just medicate ourselves out of the issue, out of the situation. But in fact, you're making the situation worse. And we plunge deeper and deeper into the chasm of darkness and sin and hopelessness. This is why we are thirsty. This is why that we are constantly looking for the next big thing to help meet our needs. But the thing is, we're thirsting for the wrong things. We need to thirst after the right things. Psalm 42, verse 1, David said this, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He goes on to say in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David understood that there is... that. The thing that I needed to be met could not be met by, by a meal. It could not be met by something human or terrestrial, by something natural, something supernatural, something eternal had to take care of my needs. And so David understood that we needed to, he needed to thirst after God, desire and pursue after God. Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When you truly hunger and thirst after the right things, after righteousness, you will be filled and experience a satisfaction that is unparalleled, that is beyond comparison, that cannot be measured by any human metric. So now let's now look at uh, Jesus' invitation. Let's go now back to our main text in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He cried. He said, look, I know all of you guys are thirsty. I know you have tried living the law of Moses, but you're still not in right standing before God. You still have a guilty conscience. I know that you're living these other things. You've tried other lifestyles, and all of them leave you empty and wanting for more. And so he stands on this particular day, the last great day of this feast, and he says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. And drink. Now I have here highlighted the great day of the feast because it's very important for us to know what day or what feast this was when Jesus was making this statement. We look at the beginning of this chapter in John chapter 7 verse 1 where it says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Jesus made this statement at the Jewish feast 
of tabernacles. Now, we need to ask ourselves the question, firstly, why was Jesus making this statement? And secondly, why did he choose to make it at this particular feast? He's making this public outcry here to his audience, to everyone that's at this feast. This feast was one of the, the few feasts, there's only three feasts in the Jewish uh, festivals, where all of, all of Israel had to congregate in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So he had the biggest audience of Israelites that were there when he made this statement. Why is he making this statement in particular, and why did he choose this particular feast? Well, let's do some, some research here. Now, what I'm about to tell you is you will not find in your Bible. This is something that we have to go to extra-biblical sources in order to obtain to really understand the context of what's going on here in this story. The reason why Jesus was doing this is because there was a ceremony called the water libation ceremony. That was in conjunction with the Feast of of Tabernacles. This ceremony is not listed in the Torah. It's not listed in the book of Leviticus or Exodus. It's not written in the books of, of, of Moses. This is something that came, a tradition that was added on later on through the, uh, the Jewish history. And what happened is with this particular ceremony, every morning of this Jewish, Jewish feast, this Jewish feast lasted seven to eight days approximately. And what we don't, we don't realize here is that at the morning service on each of the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called Sukkot, a libation, which means a pouring out of water was made together with the pouring out of wine. So every morning... Uh, roughly around the morning sacrifice, the priest, there would be a procession of priests that would go and they would get this water and they would get this wine and they would take it and draw it from the pool of Siloam. It was taken in procession by the priest to the water gate where they would stop and they'd blow the shofar. They'd have a trumpet after they get to the water gate. They'd blow this shofar, this trumpet, to alert everyone that were about to get to the climax of this ceremony. So they would take, first they would go down to this pool of Siloam They would draw water. They would take wine. The priests would lead themselves to the west gate, the water gate. Not not to be confused with with Richard Nixon. But they they go to the water gate. And they would stop there. They would blow the trumpet. And then they would ascend the kabesh or a slanting bridge to the altar. Where on the east side of the altar stood a silver bowl for the water. And on the west, another for the wine. Both the water and the wine were poured simultaneously into these bowls. So the thing is, on the, this, this ceremony was a huge deal. Everyone was very excited about this particular ceremony. This would happen every morning. The climax of this, they would have a big party, a, fest, a, a festival basically that lasted into the night. There would be dancing and singing. There would be candles and torches lit. It was a very exciting uh, uh, event that would occur. And so when this happened, it was a very sacred moment. So the priests would have a procession. They would go to the pool of Siloam. They'd draw the water out of there. They'd proceed then to the altar that was at the, at the temple. They would then ascend up this ramp where the burnt altar was. And they would then pour the water along with wine at the same time on this particular altar. Now, here's the thing. I want you guys to understand. Where did this water come from? The water came from a river called Gihon. Gihon, it means a stream bursting forth, valley of grace. It was one of the four rivers that flowed from Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that it is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good there is Bedellum and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that can pass the whole land of Ethiopia. So the water, its source, came from a river that originated from a major river that was from the, the land of Eden. And its river, the name of the river meant a stream bursting forth, valley of grace. Now, what's interesting about the river Gihon is that it was also a place where kings were anointed. We see in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there, king over Israel, and say, God save the king Solomon. God save king Solomon. So this river, it came from Eden, and it was a place where kings were anointed into office. They would walk into their office of being king. Now, what's interesting here, this river was then redirected by King Hezekiah. To prevent prevent the Assyrian army from finding water, Hezekiah redirected the river into the city of Jerusalem through a tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Hezekiah means Jehovah is my strength or the Lord or the strength of the Lord. We see in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 30, 
This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. So the water that, that for the ceremony that we're seeing in John chapter 7, it came from the river Gihon. It was redirected by King Hezekiah through a tunnel that went to the pool of Siloam. The water from the river Gihon flowed through Hezekiah's stone to the pool of Siloam. This is where the water for the libation ceremony was drawn from. And this is also the place where Jesus healed a blind man. John chapter 9, verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. Siloam means the sent or the sent ones. He went, went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. It was from this pool that a blind man's sight was restored. It was from this pool that the priest would withdraw from the water and they'd pour this water with the wine on the altar. Now, what does this all mean? Let's decode this here. The water's decoded. A stream bursting forth from the valley of grace, Gihon, was redirected by the strength of the Lord, Hezekiah, to a place where the one whom God has sent, the pool of Siloam, may give drink to, the, to those who are thirsty. So when Jesus got up and said, if any man thirsts, let him drink. It was not just an isolated statement. He said, you think you're getting your drink from the pool of Siloam. No, I am the source from which, the, which, which grace flows. It's from the pool of grace that our eyes are open and we can see. It's from the pool of grace that our thirsts are satiated. So when Jesus is making this statement about if any man thirsts, come to me and drink, this really registered with his audience because just that morning they had just done this ceremony. And he's saying, no, it's not from the pool of Siloam, not from the river Gihon, that your thirst is going to be quenched. It's from drinking from me. I have the true living water. The waters came from the valley of grace. And it came. Now, here's the thing. The waters of grace weren't coming to the pool of Siloam originally. It was going somewhere else. The only way I could get this grace was the strength of the Lord had to redirect it. God had to bring the strength of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, to redirect his grace from Eden, from paradise, and flow it down to where we were sent, where we could drink from his water and have everlasting life. He redirected his grace. I was far lost in sin. I was an alien and a stranger, a foreigner from the kingdom of God. But God redirected his grace and he found me in the midst of my depravity. Section number two, he that believes. He that believes. Jesus is inviting his audience. He's inviting us now even through the eons, through the ages, for us to have a drink. We see early in the Gospel of John, I want you to pay attention to these citations because all of these invitations for drinking and water, they're all coming from the writings of John. Now, a few chapters earlier in John chapter 4, we have Jesus meeting the woman of Samaria by the well. And he's having this dialogue with her, and he asks her if he could have some water. And she then says, you know, um, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How is it that you're asking of me? And Jesus is like, well... <laughs> He said, answer and said unto her, whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He said, look, if you knew who was asking you this, you'd be asking me for a drink. If you drink the water here from Jacob's well, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I got, you'll never be thirsty again. As a matter of fact, you'll have an endless supply. An endless reservoir of water springing up into everlasting life. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation is also another writing of John. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Very interesting here. We see that John keeps writing about taking a drink. We saw that in our main text in, in John 7. And we see it in John 4. We're seeing it in Revelation chapter 22 verse 17. Now, here's the problem. How do we take a drink? Jesus invites us to drink of his life-giving water, but how do we do that? We have to have faith. Now, here's the thing I really want you to understand in this particular section, that believing is drinking. Believing is drinking. If you want to drink from the waters of life that Jesus has, then you must believe. 
Look, again, look at the writings of John. John chapter 6, verse 28 says this. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto him, unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe. And I have the Greek word pistuo on him who hath sent. Now, I want to point something out here. Look what Jesus says. That if you want to work the works of God, you have to believe on him whom he hath sent. Where, where was the waters drawn from in the libation ceremony? From the pool of Siloam, the pool of the sent. You have to go to the one whom God has sent. Who is the one that God had sent? Jesus. That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. If you want to work the works of God, you've got to believe on him. John chapter 6 verse 35 in the same chapter here. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth, pistuo, on me shall never thirst. Notice the connection here between believing and the lack of thirsting. When you truly believe on Jesus Christ as your source, your thirst will cease. Because, why? Because you're drinking. You are drinking. He says, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Because believing is the means by which you take a drink of the waters of everlasting life. Now, with that understanding, look at John 7, 38, our main text here. He that believeth on me, same Greek word, pastuo, believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. When you believe on Christ, you are given an endless supply of water, of everlasting water. Now, here's the thing. We have a drinking problem. <clears throat> Look at this clip very carefully. Not sure how well you can see it. We have a drinking problem. This man has a cup of water. He's trying to drink it, but it's going to his head. Now, this is from the movie Airplane. Not sure if any of you guys have ever heard of it or seen it. Uh, the story behind it is that he breaks up with his girlfriend and he develops a drinking problem. And throughout the whole movie, he's trying to take a drink of water. And every time it goes in his face, it goes in his, it's like this. He's this close to getting it in his mouth where he could actually, it could actually swallow it. But the church, really not just the church, but really the world, it has, it has a drinking problem. It has a drinking problem. It can't seem to get the waters of everlasting life into itself. We have people who come to church, the waters of life are flowing, and they can feel the Holy Ghost, but they never quite fully receive it. They never quite get it in them. They get it on them. They feel a few goosebumps. They feel a little bit convicted, but they've not actually taken a drink. Let's, let's, let's dissect this a little bit deeper here. Believe it or not, pistuo, the word that we see constantly used in, for the word believe throughout the gospel of John, means to believe or commit to one's trust or to be committed unto, to think to be true, to be persuaded of, or to have confidence in. Particularly, I want to focus on the definition where it says to be committed unto. To be com not, just, not just to have confidence, although that's part of it, but to be committed unto, to be persuaded, to have confidence in it. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt pastua, believe in thine heart. Notice the origination of where the belief comes from. From the heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man pastua, believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever pastua, believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The issue we have here is that people are coming to the water. You can lead a horse to water, as you know the saying, but you can't make him drink. We can, you can hear good teaching, good preaching, but at some point you have to believe. You have to commit your trust into the arms of Jesus Christ, fully believing on him that he has justified you. And when you do that, that's when grace, the water from the valley of grace, floods your soul. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2.8. By grace are you saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God that any man should boast. Let us continue. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not pastua, believed? And how shall they believe or pastua in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? One of the reasons why that people are not drinking, we have churches filled with thirsty people. 
And you, can, you know they're thirsty because they sing about it all the time. God, I thirst for you. I'm so thirsty for you. You're thirsty because you haven't taken a drink. I'll get to that part later. <laughs> and he said, look, people can't believe until there's a preacher. Later on in this same chapter in Romans 10 verse 17, it says, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. The reason why our congregations and sinners are dying of thirst because the word of God is not being preached that would entice them to take a drink and believe on him. They are not, as I said last week, they are not being challenged or being convicted of their sin to turn away and put this nasty ocean salt water down that's stealing my life and destroying me and drink from the waters of everlasting life. They can't hear, they can't believe, they can't drink unless they have a preacher, unless the word of God is is rightly divided, rightly interpreted, and rightly preached. And that's why our faith is so fickle and so feeble and so fallacious because we don't have people teaching the word of God. And why we're so zapped for energy. We don't have any endurance. You try running a marathon without having those guys with the cups of water? Be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? You, you see those guys in the marathon, they're like, and they're just, they're, as they're running, they have to keep going, but they have to try and grab that water and keep drinking and keep running. You got to keep drinking and running at the same time. You can't stop for anybody. Anyway, I digress. Missing the mark. Believing isn't just mental assent, which is to agree that something is true, but to fully commit one's trust to God that it produces outward changes and actions. What we have is that we have, we don't have people that are born again, we have convicted sinners. We have people who simply agree, yes, that's true, preacher, I'll amen you, but they have not yet committed their life, their trust to God for the salvation of their soul. And because of that, even though they're right here by the pool, they are thirsty. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand here about this difference between true heartfelt faith, believing in God, versus mental assent. James chapter 2 verse 19, thou believest, pistuo, the same way we've been seeing throughout the entire Bible here, that there, there is one God, uh, thou doest well. The devils also, pistuo, they believe and tremble. Guess what? If you have mental assent, you have the same faith of the devil. Your faith is just as strong as Satan because Satan believes that there's a God. He knows that God is the truth, but he would never commit his trust to him and submit and call him Lord. And that is the problem that we have here. We have people who say, yes, I believe the Bible is true. Really, then why aren't you obeying it? Why don't you trust God with with, with your finances? Why don't you trust God with your life? Why don't you trust God with your soul? Because you don't have faith. And that's because you're thirsty. That's why you're thirsty. You're not drinking. Right? Let's say I'm, I'm I'm in the Amazon, right? And I come to, let's say, this big canyon. And there's this rickety old bridge that's there. And I say, look, I believe that's a, that's a sturdy bridge, but I won't cross it. Do I really believe that statement? Later in this same chapter, this is where Paul, I'm sorry, James says that just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. This whole dialogue here that James is having is to show that if you say you have faith, but you don't have works, then your faith is in vain. Your faith isn't real. Your faith is dead. You just have mental assent. You've not taken a drink. When you drink of this, it's going to change your life. It's going to manifest itself in something that's going to have an outward, definitive change. We're just like that guy from airplane. We're taking the water. We're just, we're just dousing ourselves. We're just taking the cup and floating on ourselves and think we've taken a drink. First John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin, and I have the Greek word there, harmatia, transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. The word harmatia, it means sin, sinful offense, to be without a share or to miss the mark. The thing is, the greatest sin, which is to miss the mark, is to not believe on Jesus, to believe on the one whom God has sent. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said, the world is condemned already. Why? Because they have not, they will not believe on the one whom God has sent. They refuse to drink the waters of everlasting life. Instead, they would like to go drink from a toilet. Those waters are much better. This has colors in it and has floaties. (laughs) This comes with presents. Right? We prefer to drink that nastiness, that cesspool, as opposed to drinking from the waters of life. And because we're missing the mark, missing the mark, missing the mark. We're not getting the water in us, and so there's no transformation. There is no change. We have a drinking problem that needs to be solved. 
why we have a drinking problem. I'm going to give you two reasons. Technically, I'll give you three, but I won't give you the third one to the last section. But I'll just give you two for now. Why do we have a drinking problem? Number one, people think they have drunk when they haven't. Self-deception. You think you've had a drink, but you've not really had a drink. People think they believe when they really just agree. We can tell if a person is drunk from the water of the Spirit because if they have, they aren't thirsty anymore. If you say that you're spiritually thirsty, then you haven't truly believed in Christ and drank the water. I'm going to repeat what John said throughout his gospel. John 4, 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give, him shall never thirst. If you're singing songs in your church and praying, God, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, then you've not really taken a drink. Because Jesus said, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. That's not me who's saying that. That's Jesus that's saying that. He said it right there. He said, you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. John 6, 35, I quoted this earlier. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. People think they've drunk when they haven't taken a sip. They've not taken, they're in church, been on the deacon board, the usher board, and the chicken fried committee for 30 years. Think they got a pedigree because your grandpappy was the bishop, apostle, elder, whoever. But doesn't matter, that don't amount to a hill of beans. When you stand before God, God's going to ask you, do you take a drink of my water? Are you washing the blood? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? You've not taken a drink. That's why you're thirsty. That's why you're unhappy. That's why you're depressed and you're miserable. And you need Prozac to go to sleep because you've not had a drink. Because when you take a drink of this stuff, when you get get a hit of this stuff, you'll never thirst again. So that's number one. We've got people in the church who honestly think they've drunk from Christ when they really have not. We got pe- preachers who've lying to them and saying that they've drunk. Just repeat this prayer right after me. Just say, just lift up your hands and just say, just say, Lord, I just believe on you as my personal Savior and Lord, and I just confess you as my Lord, and I just give everything to you, and just we're just all, we're just all friends, and we're just, everything's just lovely and just wonderful and bubbly. We're just having a good old time. Oh, no, 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 no. Real drinking means repentance. Means a turning away from dead works. Change in action. Change in life. No, 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 no. You, you haven't drank anything. You ain't drank this stuff that I've had. Reason number two, we're drinking from the wrong source. So you are drinking. You're drinking. Oh, yes. Drink, 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 drink. Oh, drinking a lot. Get all the water you can get. get. But you're drinking from the wrong source. Jeremiah says this. Hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Now, this is really remarkable. He says, look, the heathen, the pagans, the idolatries, they don't cheat on their gods. They're very faithful and consistent to their gods. The Muslims are very faithful to Allah. The Buddhists are very faithful to Buddha. They're very faithful to all the other deities. But you guys, you change your, your gods like you change your clothes. I can't get no help in here. I can't get nobody who will trust me and believe in me. You guys change your gods all the time, but no other nation changes their gods. They don't cheat on their gods, but y'all cheat on me. Verse 12, he says, Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The Hebrew word there for fountain is uh, makor, which means a wellspring. Remember what Jesus said? When you drink of me, there'll be a, you'll be like a well of water, spring up into everlasting life. God calls himself the fountain of living waters. He said, people have committed two evils, that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I got the goods. I got the best stuff that you need. This will satisfy your soul. But we've forsaken that, and then we've hewed out broken cisterns. Not just cisterns, but broken cisterns. Let me just pause here just for a minute. About the cisterns. So between a well and a cistern. So uh, a cistern was uh, basically a big pit. That's why the Hebrew word there, bore, it can also mean a pit. And what they do is they dig this giant pit in the ground and they would use it to collect rainwater. 
they typically would plaster it with some sort of clay to try and keep the water in so it wouldn't just seep through the soil. But the thing is, sometimes these cisterns would get cracked, the plaster would crack, and the water would just go right out. You'd lose all the water. And the thing is, the cisterns were dependent upon the rainfall. While a well, however, the water didn't come from above, it came from within. And what Jesus wants us to do is, is not be looking just for a hand out and praying, oh God, pour out your spirit, but he wants to give you something that's going to sustain you through the crisis where the water is inside of you. The thing is this also is that they were using broken cisterns. So you're going to stuff that can't even hold any water. You're investing your life, investing your faith. You're drinking something that doesn't even hold any water. You got a bucket of holes. It will not sustain you. It's going to run out. But the water that's in the ground, that the, that the well water, has a river that's flowing in there that you can, will sustain you in the midst of crises. You know, we're drinking from the wrong source. We're going to another self-help book. We're going to another philosopher, another doctor, another education, another whatever to try and get our needs met, another relationship, another career, another source of entertainment to placate our needs. Why? Because... We're drinking from the wrong source. Drinking from the wrong source. First Corinthians 10.21 says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. We're just drinking from every table that's around. We're wondering why we're thirsty. Wondering why we got cirrhosis of the liver. You've been drinking the wrong stuff. That's why. Let us continue here. Out of his belly, getting back to our main text here, John 7, 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. As I said before, the cistern's water came primarily on, on the rainfall, from the rainfall, but the well's water came from deep within the soil. Even so, when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, he is like a well whose water never runs dry. Now, what's very interesting here about well water, about aquifers, is that sometimes you have aquifers where the, the water is so deep, it's so deep and the, 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 the weight of the ground is so heavy that it, it pressurizes the water. And so what happens is as the pressure gets, as it gets deeper into the soil and the pressure builds up, it eventually will start to shoot up out of the ground naturally. You can literally just stick a pipe right in the ground and just, just shoot up all over that, all over the place. And the thing is this, that oftentimes I know you're going through troubles and you're under a lot of pressure, but sometimes those troubles and those pressures can cause some things to come out of you that you didn't even know that was there. You might pray a little bit more. David said in Psalm 34 verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. That sometimes as you get in trouble and you start to truly trust in Jesus, you start drinking his word and drinking his spirit, some things start coming out of you. God wants you to drink from him and not from a cistern. All right, now I'm trying to wrap this up. Ooh, I've got lots of time. All right, uh, section number three. When Jesus is glorified. When Jesus is glorified. The Holy Ghost, its purpose, or his purpose, is to glorify the incarnation, to glorify Christ, God who became man. His whole, that's his whole thing. His whole purpose is to glorify Christ. It's what attracts the Holy Spirit whenever we glorify Christ. Look what Jesus says here again in the Gospel of John. John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Notice the I here. John 15, verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of, of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Notice the focus here. That the Holy Spirit will bring things, all things that I have said to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will testify of me. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall, now notice this, glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So we hear, see here that the Holy Ghost will bring to our remembrance all the things that Jesus has said. He will testify of Jesus and his works, and finally, he will glorify Jesus. He shall glorify me. I really want you to focus on that last one. He shall glorify me. I want to talk here about the hour of glory. John 7 verse 39, our back to our main text, Jesus teaching on the day of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. But this spake he of the Spirit, 
which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit will not come and enter in until that Jesus is glorified. Want to remember that point? Remember what we said here. He shall glorify me. The Holy Ghost is not given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, keep this thought in mind. The Holy Ghost couldn't be given until Jesus was glorified. Now, the question is, what does that mean? That's a very loaded term. What does it mean that Jesus was glorified? John 12, again, going back to John, John 12, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Let me just pause here just for a minute. This is at the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper when Jesus is making this, this statement about saying that the hour has come that the Son of Man is about to be glorified. John 12, verse 16. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. Remember, it says, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered. What does the Holy Ghost do? It says in verse, uh, verse 26, Bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Do you see the consistency? God's trying to tell us something here with this glorification thing. So let's, let's, uh, let's dive a little deeper. Now, the next verse I'm going to read to you, John 13. Jesus has just, he just dropped a bomb, okay? He just, just totally blown people's minds. He's like, hey, guess what? One of you guys is going to betray me. What? Is it me? Is it I? And Jesus is like, hey, hey, guys, hey, guys, you see this? See this bread I got here? I'm going to take this bread and dip it. The guy I give this bread to, he's going to betray me. And Judas gets up and leaves, and they thought, oh, he's about to go get something for the feast of Passover. What? It's like, the guy I give this bread to is going to betray me. And they still missed it. Anyway. Now look, after Judas leaves, look what Jesus says here in John 13, verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Now now just wait here a minute here. This is the beginning of Jesus' passion. He's about to have the worst day of his life. He has just been betrayed. The, the uh, sequence of events has now been set into motion where he's being betrayed. And he says, right when this, this joker here is leaving to go betray me, he says, now I am being glorified. What? He says, the hour is now come. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified him. I'm about to enter the worst time of my life, but this is when I'm entering into my glory. This is beginning the problem. I want you to remember this now. The hour of glory came when Jesus was betrayed, and it was the sequence of events started for his passion. Jesus' glorification began at Jews' betrayal, which led to his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and ended with his ascension. The Holy Ghost couldn't come because the vessel that carried it hadn't been poured out yet. Now, let's really break this down. Where Remember what Jesus said in, in verse 37 of John chapter 7. Uh, he said, if any man thirsts, come to me and drink. Right? He's got the waters. And we see in verse 39 that when he was making this statement, he was speaking about the Holy Ghost. He said, I've got the Holy Ghost. And if you drink from me, believe on me, you will drink of this water. But the water couldn't be taken up because it hadn't been poured out. Jesus hadn't been glorified. Now, how do we get the water out of this vessel that has all this good stuff, all this everlasting eternal life? John 19, verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs, but one of the soldiers with the spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Do not understand the cost it, it was for Jesus for us to take one sip of his spirit to get the water to us. He had all the water. He had all the life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except but by me. I've got all the water, but the only way to get the water is if I've got to be poured out. And the only way to get the water out is I've got to be pierced. 
Remember, now, the water libation ceremony, what did the priests do? They went to the pool of Siloam. They took the water and they took the wine. And they went to an altar, a place of sacrifice, and they poured the water and the wine on the altar. Jesus explains to us that the wine represents the testimony of his blood. When Jesus was crucified, he went onto an altar. The high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, did not pour water from another source. He poured it from himself, and out from his side came water and blood. Isaiah 53, verse 11, the famous messianic chapter where it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, and shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. It says that Jesus poured out his soul. I have the Hebrew word there, shafak. He poured out his soul unto death. When his soul was poured out, when he gave up the ghost, the Holy Ghost, when he gave him his last breath and the blood poured out from his side, the water poured out of his side, he was giving it to all mankind that we could take a drink. Because he hath poured out his soul out, poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Look what David wrote in Psalm 22, a messianic psalm, which was prophetic. Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have, have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Jesus on the cross. This is what was going through Jesus' mind on the cross. He says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melted in the midst of my bowels. Jesus is suffering as all of his essence, all of his life was being poured out. He, when he gave, he, as my mother sang so many years ago, he gave his all. He had to completely empty himself of all the life that was in him so that we could live. Now the word shafak, which is, we see here in Isaiah 53, 11, which I read earlier. It means pour out or it means to shed. We've often heard the phrase, a watershed moment. A moment of, that's so historical, so pivotal, that it completely changes the course of history. The greatest watershed moment that could ever happen, it started at the cross when the water and the blood was poured out, was shed. He literally shed it, not only his blood, he shed his spirit. He poured out his spirit. Now, what's interesting here as we continue to go is that the outpouring, this outpouring was predicted in the scripture. This pouring out of his spirit, the pouring out of the water. Joel 2.28, and it shall come to pass after that I will shafak, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon thy handmaids, that means in those days I will shave, I will pour up of my spirit. That's the same word that's used to describe what happened to Jesus when his soul was poured out unto death. The same word that describes Jesus pouring out his soul is the same word that's used to describe when the spirit of God is poured on someone who believes on him in the last days. The reason why that people could not receive the Holy Ghost because Jesus was not yet glorified. And the glorification included his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Hope you're getting something out of this. So Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Now the outpouring was then fulfilled. Acts 2, 16. But this is that. On the day of Pentecost, which we just celebrated last week. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. We see here in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. When, when Peter is at the house of Cornelius. The Bible says that while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed. Notice that. Which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. The vessel had to be broken, just like the one with the alabaster box. The vessel had to be broken for that precious substance to be poured upon mankind so that we could live. 
No cross, no glory. Remember that the Holy Ghost was not yet given until, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost will not come until Jesus is glorified. Christ's glorification came through his sufferings. One of the reasons why, here's the third reason why people are not drinking. Why, one of the reasons why people do not receive the Holy Ghost or drink from his water is because they have to suffer by carrying their cross to get to the water. I want to be saved. I want to live eternally. I want to drink of the Holy Spirit. But, but I don't like this crucifixion stuff. I don't want to die to myself. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to change my life. I want to be saved in my sin instead of saved from my sin. I want to stay in my mess and just and put a stamp of approval and say, I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm righteous. As opposed to really being transformed and changed. No, if you want to get this water, you're going to have to carry your cross. Because the Holy Ghost is not given till Jesus was glorified. And the glorification only came through the suffering that Jesus had to go through. Matthew 16, 24, Ben said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, if you want some of this water, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what we want. We want a painless Christianity, a bloodless cross. We want all the blessings without all the suffering. That's not Bible. No pain, no gain. People want the water without the blood. To truly believe and drink of the Holy Spirit, one must come by way of the cross and kill the flesh. You've got to die to yourself. Die to your old way of life. Give it up. Lay it on the altar. And when you lay it on the altar, remember the water was poured when the sacrifice was on the altar. When we put ourselves on the altar, that is when the blood is applied. That is when the Spirit of God is applied. Philippians 3.10, notice what Paul says here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If I'm going to really experience the glorification of Jesus, I've got to be a partaker of his sufferings. I've got to confess that I'm a low-down, wretched, despicable, deplorable sinner who's in dire need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, come and save me. I put my trust and hope in you and in you alone. When you do that and lay yourself on the altar, and lay your life down for him. That is when the blood is applied. The Holy Ghost was not yet given until Jesus was glorified. The Holy Ghost will not be given to you until you glorify Christ in your body, in your life. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 8, 16 says this, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. If we want the Holy Spirit, we want to take a drink of this water, you've got to learn to suffer. You've got to learn to put that plate down. You've got to learn to say no to the sins that are tempting you. No, to the things that are trying to to get you to fall away from God. We have to say no. We're not going to have the the glorification, the gain, without the pain. John 7, 39 decoded. The water libation ceremony ended when the priest took the water and the blood and poured it on the altar. In the same sense, if we want Christ's atoning blood and his spirit poured on us, we must carry our cross and lay ourselves on the altar of sacrifice in repentance. The Holy Ghost will not come unless Jesus is glorified. Christ is glorified mostly in the sacrificing of ourselves and the crucifying of the flesh. Don't get me wrong. Yes, one of the things I said last week is to receive the Holy Spirit is that we need to praise the Lord, to glorify him because the Holy Ghost was not yet given until Jesus was glorified. The Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord God, strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Yes. Yes, we must glorify Jesus with our lips, with our worship, with our praise, with our uplifted hands, in our hymns, in our songs. But most of all, Christ is not looking for lips that utter adoration and acclamation unto his great name. Primarily, he is looking for a heart who has repented and is turning himself selflessly unto God. 
Christ is glorified primarily whenever someone puts down their old life and lays it on the altar and says, I will live my life. Every breath I breathe, everything I say, every step I take, I do it, oh God, to bring you glory, to show this dead and dying world that there is a Savior that can redeem and save us from sin. We are, Jesus is glorified when we fast and when we pray, when we sacrifice and give unto the Lord all that is due unto his name. That is when Jesus is truly glorified, when we lay our all on the altar, when we lay our all at repentance and give ourselves to Christ. The fact of the matter is that we don't have revival because we're okay living without it. And the reason why we don't have it is because we're not willing to lay our all on the altar and sacrifice and do what all is necessary to reach a dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must lay our all on the altar. We are living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Paul said, I die daily. Daily I've got to lay myself, put myself back on the altar of repentance. Put myself back on the altar of sacrifice so that Jesus Christ may be glorified. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I must glorify Christ. I am a light. I am a city on a hill that cannot be hid. And this water that's within me, it must be given to this dry and thirsty land. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors and sets the captive free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that you have the waters of everlasting life? If you believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of his own belly shall flow rivers of living water. You cannot receive the Holy Ghost without taking up your cross and following him sacrificially. Let's stand. i got to quit. Praise God. Praise God. Now, here's something very interesting. This is a freebie. About to connect some dots. So, for those of you who were here last week, I talked about the Holy Ghost and fire. They're interesting that then the next week I talk about the Holy Ghost and water because those seem like polar opposites, doesn't it? (laughs) Doesn't water put out fires? Now here's what's very interesting. And you can look this up. I, this, this blew my mind. Remember last week I said that fire is a chemical reaction. And what happens is that the atoms that make the molecular structures of different substances are broken apart by the energy, the heat ignition source that is within fire. And that these new atoms, they form new molecules. Now what's interesting here is that the most common substances or elements within Uh, on the earth is carbon and hydrogen whenever you set fire remember to have a fire you need to have three things you need to have an ignition source you need to have a fuel source and you have to have oxygen whenever you set something on fire those hydrogen and carbon molecules they begin to rise and split apart and they form new molecules now what's interesting is that you have hydrogen and it's rising up because of the heat, to meet oxygen. And when hydrogen meets oxygen, particularly two different hydrogen atoms meet one oxygen atom, it forms H2O. Did you know that every time you set a fire, you're actually seeing water that's being extinguished or that's, being, that's rising up from the fire? What's also interesting is that you have carbon. And when carbon mixes with oxygen, particularly two carbon ones, you have carbon dioxide, which is poisonous. Because the thing is, when the Holy Ghost and fire comes, it brings life, but also gets rid of death. The Holy Ghost is like a flaming fire, but it's also like a river of water. I don't know about you, when I found that, I blew my mind. (laughs) Isn't God amazing? How he does that. Whenever we let the Holy Ghost in fire baptize us and he burns up all the substance within us, our hydrogen molecules, they meet the, the breath of the Holy Ghost and it forms water. <laughs> Isn't that something? God wants us to drink from his, his water. If you haven't drunk from it at all, you need to take a drink. This is some good stuff. You're missing out. You're missing out some really good stuff. This will re, re, replenish your electrolytes, give you energy. So you can run this race with patience. So that you can endure all the hell and high water that's coming your way. So that you can outrun the devil.
You can juke and jive him. You can avoid him whenever you have drunk from the living water. So I'm going to close this service today that we need to take a drink. If you haven't taken a drink, if you have the Holy Ghost, you're not thirsty. The devil's got you to think that you're thirsty. And because you think you're thirsty, you're trying to look for other things to drink. So you're drinking ocean water and toilet water and who knows what else. And then you're now you're even more messed up. Now you're addicted and now you've got drama and you've got trauma and you've got issues. That's there because you drank from the wrong source. Oh my goodness, we, if we would just drink from the fountains of living water, we'd never be thirsty again. We've got the goods. We've got the best thing there is. As, as Peter said to Jesus, he's like, look, you've got the words of everlasting life. Where else would I go but to the Lord? Praise God. We're going to close this service. I hope this has blessed you in some way. That you have a new perspective on the Holy Ghost. That the Holy Ghost is like a consuming fire that burns up all the sin and judges me righteous. But it's also like the living water that brings life. The fire, it kills the sin. And then the water, it brings life. And life much more abundantly. Praise God. Let us pray. And ask for the Holy Spirit to continue to flow in this service. Because I believe that God wants to do something significant and special today. That someone needs to drink of this water. Will you come to the pool of Siloam and believe on Christ? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that so long ago you gave us that water. You shed your water, your spirit, and your blood that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could have eternal life. Oh, God, I pray the name of Jesus. Let there be an eruption like, oh, God, old faithful. Let, there, let the geysers of the Holy Spirit erupt in this place and flood this house. Flood the streets, oh, God, with the Holy Spirit and power that drug addicts and prostitutes and, and those who've been abused and maligned and separated and isolated would come to take a drink when they see what we have that they would thirst oh god and come to you and say even as david said as the heart pad of the water brooks so, so padeth my soul after thee oh god i pray in the name of jesus have your way break chains and shackles and yokes help us to be empowered to run this race with patience we give you all the praise and all the honor and in jesus name let the church living god say amen god bless you you are dismissed